fun, frivolity, and always something that includes that fucked up Florida. It's an F-fest around these parts, so we welcome you to the Gay BC Happy Hour, a freaking fantastic festival of current events, conversation, cocktails, and, well, you can figure it out from here if you split that last word in two. We'll give you a little time to think about that. There you go. Here are your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hello, and welcome to this week's Happy Hour. How are you? And I'm, I'm good. I'm good-ish. I'm good-ish. Good-ish. <laughs> good-ish. Yeah. I'm. I'm actually. I currently, uh, right before uh, we went on air, I made the mistake of eating a big handful of of habanero lime corn nuts, and so my mouth is now on fire. <laughs> Um, to go along with your, uh, well, y- y- I'll say your trunk. <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. I also currently have shingles, so my chest is uh, also on fire in addition to my mouth. So I am so sorry to hear that. That that's that has to be the most horrible thing in the world. It's not the best, it's true. But yeah. we will power through it and um and we have a great show lined up for this week. Who did um, you rub up against to get that? And I only asked that question because I heard some numbskull in one of the one of the spaces that we were in on Twitter earlier this week act as though that's how you can get shingles. Right, yeah. From <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from contacting, uh, yeah, yeah, from from bodily contact. This which, is not how you get shingles, by the way. Which doorknob did you roll yourself around on? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we have a good show this week. But um, before we get into the show, it's a reminder, as always, that this is a call-in show. And um, our phone number is 760-677-0111. And uh, as you're listening to the show, if anything strikes your fancy, if there's anything that you want to talk to us about or kind of uh, weigh in on, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. We would. And we'd like you to uh, knock us upside the head if you disagree with us on anything, too. So you do not have to be part of the Richie and Johnny fan club and and be in lockstep with whatever we say. We, we like to actually have people bring different points of view or bring their own personal experiences in terms of the topics that we talk about, whether it's a current event thing or it's a more generalized topic about life in general. So we'd love to hear from you. Again, that number is 760-677-0111. And Richie, as the introduction to our program said this hour, um, we're going to skip right through uh, from A and E and go right to the F and G today and start our little storytelling in the lovely state of Florida, or as I like to refer to, the home of the Floridians, where there's a high school that is now demanding permission slips for students to watch a PG Disney film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a. Uh this is what happens, um, you know, when you when you pass extremely vague uh, legislation, um, you know, which is you know the don't say gay bill, you know, Ron DeSantis's baby, um, which is so confusingly vague and and puts school administrators so ill at ease that they 
asking parents to sign permission slips to do almost everything now. Um, because, you know, the, it requires, you know, permission slips for school-sponsored events that take place before, during, or after school. And so, it, in this case, it is, uh, there was a, Boone High School had a rom-com movie night where the students decided that they wanted to watch the movie Tangled, which is, I, I know, some kind of, like, Disney film, the musical retelling of Rapunzel. Hmm. That, of course, is just too risque you know, to even deal with. And so they sent out, the school sent out permission slips in order for students to engage in watching this piece. I, I thought that the new law was don't say gay, not don't say risque. Well, right. But the thing is, it, it's the bill doesn't, is, is that's the problem though. The bill is so vaguely worded. It, you know, it's not about gay. It's just, a, it's basically just a, you know, if if anything you know is you know at all kind of on the edge of personal expression or something that that could be construed as sexual or adult or whatever or um you know uh in any way not just straight down the line right. um you know and the thing is it's it's so punitive that um, schools are just like erring on the side of caution with everything. Well, one of the parents of a Boone High School student, uh, Judy Hayes, she told local television station WFTV uh, that I had to sign a permission slip for my child who could drive himself to see it in a movie theater. Right. Yeah, it's absurd. And uh, she went on to say that it seems like it, it's just out of control. It's every single activity, and it's burdensome on the staff because they have to chase down permission slips. The club sponsors are getting frustrated and giving up because it's just too much work. Yeah, it, it's well, and ridiculous. And that's it's, ultimately, that's the goal. I mean, the goal here, again, is to um, is to make it, it, you know, there's this idea of, quote, empowering parents, uh, you know, well, why don't to, these real-life parents show up at a school board meeting or right. start showing up on, on the the curb of the high schools and having their own protests so it's not the students who are getting you know, punished for being out on the sidewalk and picketing and things like that. The people who actually make the decisions to pay the bills, in other words, pay the taxes in that community, they're the ones who are the the basically the shareholders of those school board members and of the the governor and the legislators, they need to start wreaking havoc in and all throughout Florida. This goes to a larger point, which is um, there's, and, and it's really, it's, it's reached a fever pitch, but there over time, there's this disintegration and, and this is really due specifically to conservative advocacy and activism um a a complete crumbling of belief in in institutions in things like the federal government in things like public schooling um in in really kind of like in things like even science and medicine there's this idea that experts or people who practice you know a profession are somehow suspect and what you have you know 
where it's kind of reached its pitch with this school stuff is this idea that parents know better than educators how to do education. Yeah. And that's, first of all, just not true. And second of all, what it does is it goes to a larger agenda, which is that, you know, again, since board versus, Brown versus Board, there's a big chunk of the right wing that does not buy into public education anymore because public education is not segregated. It's integrated. And it, you know, and and the people who practice it generally are professionals who believe in things like treating students with dignity and respect. Yeah. That does not fly. Well, it's not just the LGBTQ stuff. Like you're talking about um, the state's Stop Woke Act bans critical race theory, which is not, and that's in Florida schools, but that's not even a concern at the high school level. That's a collegiate thing. And that's a law school. It's like literally critical critical race theory is something that is studied in law school. It's not even an undergrad. Like that is it is such a canard. Right. And this month, of course, is Black History Month. And so teachers can't even really discuss black history because of this stupid law. Right. And, so and, and, and right. And, and the thing is, you know, when I think when they use the words critical race theory, they found a way to make something sound scary. All it means is to literally accurately talk about the history of race in this country. That mm. is that is what is anathema to people who, you know, to these stop woke bill type people. You know, what is, they ought to do is they ought to just focus on uh, passing some laws that don't allow teachers to read fairy tales. Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example here is when I was in school, I forget if it was junior high or high school, whatever, we watched big portions of the Civil War documentary, the Ken Burns Civil War documentary. We, you know, mm. remember that? No. Uh, it was a, you know, multi-part documentary about the Civil War. It was extremely popular, massively successful PBS documentary. I went to school before the Civil War. Right. So it was a, you probably have seen parts of Civil War. I mean, it's it's literally like sort of this bedrock documentary about the Civil War. And we watched a lot of it in school. And obviously it deals with the 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 basis of the Civil War, which is slavery. Today, you could not show that in schools in Florida. You couldn't show a PBS documentary that literally is sort of foundational about the basis of the Civil War. You could either not show it at all or you'd have to get permission slips to, to, to do that. You know, um, that is how far like the... The education has slid down into the gutter in places like Florida, where where educators cannot teach really non-controversial things about non-controversial topics at all anymore. Well, we need parents like Judy Hayes to run for office, to get on school boards, and to begin to create change there. This is why we talk about encouraging you, when you hear about something that is absolutely bizarre going on in your neck of the woods if you can you know put two words together and know that two and two equals four it really does and the sky is actually blue and not purple i think you're qualified to be a legislator anymore you know you don't fight science or you know the reality of of our history and 
we need people who are going to be out there defending these kinds of things and who are going to run for public office and get things back on track. It's time that we pass a student's bill of rights, honestly. No, it's a great point. I mean, it's... I like the I like your framing of that. I mean, I think that they're I think also um, I mean, a student's bill of rights is a good way to frame it because part of it too is actually um, is that the lives of teachers have been so immiserated by all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and by you know uh, things both things I just think that the the the, the the crunch on public schooling is so difficult now, coming from all different angles because you have, you know, the, this kind of parent knows best, which in the past that was really not. I mean, people basically for many years kind of took as as a you know as a foundational thought that teachers know how to teach kids and that's their job, and that what you do is you send your kids to school, the teachers teach curricula. And then your your kids learn, and you don't really spend much time thinking about it very much. Right. You know, um, it seems to me that, you know, in, in talking about that, that perhaps if you're going to start taking a turn towards funding private education, that maybe we should start considering having schools teach you know, real stuff. What do you mean by that? Like, you know, the truth, science, you know, the things that you and I are aware of that that should be taught and the way that they should be taught. And parents who have a brain can send their kids to those schools. The, pro- the problem is that that, that is the, the atomizing schools in that way is what they want to happen. Um. Because what what they what they're seeking to do is basically take all the funding, you know, with school vouchers and all these sort of things, is to take the funding out of public schools, and eventually what you'll end up with is public schools that are underfunded and under resourced, um, and these public schools don't have what it takes to teach the students. And so if you if you take this idea that like, oh, well, just, you know, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. That's what they're hoping for. What they're hoping for I know, is to- I don't event- really mean that. I, I, you know, but it's just to kind of point out the absurdity of it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we've talked about on, on the show before, there, there are states in this in this country where there are bills in the legislature that, that, that would allow- parents, you know, to essentially pull their kids out of school after, you know, eighth or ninth grade to work full time, you know, in factory farms. Right. So they're not, there is a, there is a, there is a constituency of people in this country who do not believe in education full stop. And that's, you um, know why? That's because they came out of school as dummies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is. I'm not trying to be funny by saying that. It's because they don't know better. Right. You know, I didn't, you know, I'm, look at me. I turned out fine, you know, by whose assessment. Right. You know. No, and yeah, and it's just, it. it's this, it's this fear. The Kentucky Um, uh, court clerk who wouldn't marry people. You know, I came out fine. Right. Uh, wait, is that Kim Davis? Yeah. Yeah. But no, you have, um, no, it's why you have, 
it you know it you know it, the, there have been several battlegrounds. One is the schools in K through twelve with the don't you know the don't the anti woke don't say gay kind of bills, and then now there's also kind of the new frontier on the right is public institutions of higher education. And even pri- private institutions of higher education, you know, you have these defunding DEI initiatives. You have um, things like in Florida trying to change the charters of the public schools to basically not be liberal arts or or sort of even minded towards the arts and sciences, but rather to basically be trade schools. Um, they're de- they're deathly afraid of education because education tends to make people curious empathetic imaginative and oh god likely can't have to, those yeah likely to be someone who does not have the kind of blinkered small-minded view of the world that's xenophobic and hateful that really is what they're buying into for their voter base yeah it's very cynical it is and it annoys the crap out of me um, we've only got a couple of minutes here, but um, there was another story uh, this week, uh, and I'll touch on it, I guess, when we come back in a moment with more of the GBC Happy Hour, um, where the Supreme Court told our our favorite Georgia congresswoman uh, that her anti-mask lawsuit could just kiss off, and it's funny. Stay with us. It's funny because she got told, basically, uh, go home and pound dirt, honey. <laughs> With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Our telephone number is 760-677-0111. Prizes tonight that I'm going to give away for some of the Ooh. callers. So, it, yeah, it pays off to listen and dial. 760-677-0111. Support the LGBTQ community and be a part of creating positive change with the National LGBTQ Task Force, the country's oldest national queer rights organization. We are the activists who drive the LGBTQ movement forward, the organizers who sustain progress. At the task force, we are committed to queering the census, queering the vote, and ensuring a fair democracy for all. Our FedWatch program monitors government policies and data to advocate for inclusivity and equality. Join us in building a bold, inclusive, and intersectional world where everyone can be their authentic self. Let's work together to shape a future where justice and freedom are guaranteed for all. Stand with us as we continue to push for equity-driven goals and strategies. Visit our website at thetaskforce.org to learn how you can be a part of the change. Together, we can make a difference for a better tomorrow. The National LGBTQ Task Force, advocating for a fair democracy and justice for all. Hey, hello, the phone operator over here is lonelier than the Maytag repairman. So let your fingers do the walking and join Richie and Johnny to start doing some talking. We know you want to work your digits, so get in on the act. 760-677-0111. The GBC Happy Hour. Wake that guy up now. That's 760-677-0111. Here's Richie and Johnny. Hello, and welcome back to the happy hour. So, well, Marjorie uh, Marjorie is, Taylor Green, eh? She is a pissed off puppy. 
Yeah. Yeah? What's the story here? Well, the United States Supreme Court uh, this past week has refused to hear a lawsuit that she brought um, that was brought against the uh, fines that she received for ignoring a mandatory masking rule at the Capitol during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Our friend, Congresswoman Green, uh, she's a notorious anti-vaxxer and COVID Mm -hmm. truther. And she is one of the three Republican representatives who were charged fines for refusing to wear masks on the House floor. And the Democrats approved the rule and the rule fined legislators $500 for their first infraction and $2,500 for each one after that. So uh, our friend, she accumulated over $100,000 in fines <laughs> for refusing to wear the mask, and the court is not going to hear uh, her whining and bitching and moaning. And apparently uh, Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky and Ralph Norman from South Carolina also broke the rule. And uh, those legislators later said in their lawsuit that the Democrats sought to force Republicans to be instruments in fostering public adherence to the uh, or to an ideological viewpoint, according to the uh, courthouse news service. Uh, as such, the Republicans considered the rule breaking as a form of protest. And, you know, Massey cried at a press conference saying that Nancy Pelosi did this by edict. There's no law. She changed this rule on her own. She did it unconstitutionally. Well, apparently not. So, uh, which is uh, the. the I mean, I'm just like, uh, of course, this person is stupid, unconstitutionally. I mean, the thing is, it was done probably by rules, by the rules of the of the of right. the you know of the body. And if a Democrat had violated them, they would be just as much on the hook as Marjorie Taylor Greene and her two uh, henchmen. And you know, and you know, and the thing is, what's so rich is like saying, "Oh, it was done by rule." So much rat fuckery is done by rule in right. the legislature when Republicans are in charge. Right. They are famous for using the rules to screw uh, screw everything up. Yeah. So, um, you know, for a Republican to be crying foul over, you know, rule changes is a bit rich. Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, ESPN has a commentator who got caught recently making a homophobic comment on a hot mic apparently he thought that after he had done his little report remotely that they'd gone back to the studio and that they'd cut the mic on him uh he was uh outside the octagon on saturday for a pay-per-view ufc 298 event in anaheim um his name is michael bisping He's a UFC fighter and commentator, and he was hanging with uh, right-wing podcaster Joe Rogan and breaking down new undefeated featherweight champ uh, Ilya Tapuria, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, who had just taken down Alexander uh, Volkanovsky in a headline bout. And that's when 
things just apparently got a little too gay. And he made a homophobic remark. And the network, ESPN, uh, has not apologized, nor has Bisping. And And the USC has not apologized for it. And ESPN has actually come out and issued a statement that they are not going to make a statement on the matter. And I'm surprised because usually Mickey Mouse makes them have to fix things. You know, ESPN is part of the Disney company. Yeah, well, I mean, so I think what I'm getting, because reading the article, I was trying to figure out what it is. I think what it was is that he was basically, he was fed lines to read, right? Because the, the, the line that he said was 15 and 0, undefeated, 13 stoppages. What a guy, what a night. And then he waited a long second and then said, well, that's fucking gay. Right. So what I imagine is that he was told or he was he was given the lines to say or by a producer or something to say all that stuff. And then he he felt dirty by have by by actually, you know, complimenting a, a fighter or whatever for, right. you know, for doing well. Right. But this it doesn't make any difference because the way he used, you know, his comment about it being gay was obviously as a slur. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I. What I'm saying is, is it he? Yeah. No. What I'm saying is that yeah. I'm just trying to understand, like, what, what, you know, what the what, context was. Right. And the context was that he was given a line to say, and he felt he didn't like it. And, he didn't like it. Yeah. And and so you know he and he got his you of know. Of course, the worst his, thing in the world would be to you know, uh, be gay, and so that's what you use as your retort to, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like what they made me say. That's so gay. Right. It also sounds like um, he has called op- opponents the f uh, the f word during matches. Has made homophobic comments online. So the real thing is, why do they have this asshole as a commentator at all? Yeah. Well, I think we should call him up and call him some names. Ah. Stay with us. Uh, we're going to call you names if you don't call us. So exactly. be the first one to call seven six zero six seven seven zero one one one. You're listening to the GBC Happy Hour. He's Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mac, and we want to spend the next hour and a half with you. So stay with us right here on the GBC Radio Network. crisis strikes, LGBTQ plus youth deserve support and understanding. That's where the Trevor Project comes in. At the Trevor Project, counselors are equipped with the knowledge and skills needed to handle a variety of challenging situations. The comprehensive training program explores how to embody counselor values, follow counselor principles, and apply counseling skills, all to provide the best support possible to LGBTQ plus youth in crisis. Whether it's offering a listening ear, providing resources, or simply being there for someone in need, 
The Trevor Project's counselors are prepared to help young people navigate through difficult times. To learn more about The Trevor Project and how you can support the mission to provide life-saving resources to LGBTQ youth in crisis, visit the website at thetrevorproject.org. That's thetrevorproject.org, a public service message from GayBC and the Mutual Broadcasting System. Happy Hour on Gay BC. No agenda, except for that gay one. I love that one. It's one of my favorite intros. Normally, I don't step out of the fourth wall on this show. And I know that it's really hard to step out of the fourth wall on a radio or audio program. But I'm going to do it in the sense that one part of our audience got to hear a newscast by listening live, and the rest who listen as a podcast don't hear what the current news is in the hour that we're doing the show. So I want to refer back to something, though, that just made headlines in the national news a moment ago, which is that we have a story out of um, we have a story out of Florida about making a moon landing today. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is pretty cool that we're going to be able to uh, have updated data on what's happening up on that big ugly rock that uh, lights up at night. Uh, you know, a lot of people question whether it was real in the uh, back in the 1960s and whether or not we were really there or they were on a movie set in Hollywood uh, doing the moon landings. And I have to admit, I never really thought about it for years and years and then I started to think about it and go, yeah, by the way, how did they have those cameras already there to see them coming down the steps? It, it seemed a little odd to me. But I'm excited that we can go to places like Mars and to the moon and other places and actually explore planets and, and other places in outer space. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. It is cool. I think it is cool. Like I, I like seeing images from like the Mars rovers and stuff. Yeah. I, I think that if anything though, um, the, those images that we see should, should really just, if anything, redouble our efforts to deal with climate change and take care of this con- this this planet right. because those are pretty inhospitable inhospitable rocks i mean mars is is not the greatest like place not nor is the moon right. like earth is pretty darn nice and you know um i just feel like yeah we should be working harder to preserve what we've got rather than thinking about going somewhere that's you know you're not going to be spending your afternoons out walking down the street in the uh, open red air no exactly yeah and and you know and it, it does just strike me as as like kind of crazy um that there are some you know futurists that are just like really thinking already thinking like well let's let's get those mars colonies going and i'm like well yikes like (laughs) why don't we why don't we keep this planet actually kind of in a good shape for as long as we can and just 
enjoy this one. Yeah. Do you know I, who... I, But I do think it is cool. I mean, like, I love, I love, you know, when they can, you know, explore, you know, comet trails and, and have rovers and all that stuff is super, super interesting. Yeah. But I, I just, for me, it just makes me really all the more think about how precious this resource is. Especially if we're going to have to avoid getting nailed by an asteroid or something here on Earth. Right, 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 right. So do you know who Cecilia Gentili is? You know, I didn't know about it until this story, and Cecilia Gentili is actually amazing. Yeah. Go ahead and tell us about her and what happened and and why the the priests and bishops and archbishop uh, have all gotten their their silly clothes up in a tizzy. Yeah, yeah. So, so Cecilia Gentili is a uh, was a transgender activist, an actor, an author, um, really instrumental in kind of a lot of really positive things for the LGBTQ community. And um, Cecilia Gentili passed away, uh, I believe, at the age of 52, you know, far too young in Brooklyn um, in, in early February. And, uh, and Gentili was an advocate for transgender folks, for sex workers. Um, and, uh, and the funeral was held at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Um, yeah. And... You know, I think it seems like it was very well attended. Um, Fourteen hundred mourners packed the pews, um, and uh, you know, a lovely event. Fourteen hundred—that's that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, especially you know, in some you know these days, it's hard to get anyone to go into a church. Uh, but yeah, 1400 mourners packed the pews at St. Patrick's to pay tribute to Gentili. The conservative, uh, conservative Catholics got wind that a transgender activist and transgender person had, you know, their funeral mass at the church and they have gone apoplectic. They are freaking out. They're sort of talking about how it was blasphemous and sacrilegious a fiasco a desecration of the cathedral by the way reverend before yeah. you go on with that thought i want to know if before those people in the new york archdiocese if they called the boss first and asked him where he stood on that because i'm thinking that pope francis is not very happy about this you mean about this response from the Catholics? Yes. Yeah, of course not. I mean, of course. I mean, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, um, you know, Pope Francis is very much about ministering to all people, um, is, you know, you know, really uh, kind of in the, in the baby steps way that the Catholic Church, you know, moderates any of its kind of retrograde ideas, has kind of tiptoed towards, you know, at least... Uh, blessings of same-sex unions or other sort of, you know, LGBTQ, uh, you know, sort of identities. Um, but there's a, there's a, you know, sort of revanchist kind of retrograde derriere guard group of Catholics in this country uh, who are not on board with what the, you know, with the boss, with the CEO has to say. Um, and so we have people like the Reverend Nicholas Gregoris, 
the co-founder of the Priestly Society of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, who um, has called for a reconsecration of the cathedral and for other Catholics to protest the fact that this funeral took place. Um, then we have the really one of the true villains of of the of the American Catholic world, Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League, who accused the mourners of defiling the church, um, and uh, and has called and uh, one right right wing uh, Catholic website has launched a petition to call for Cardinal Dolan the Archbishop of New York, to perform an exorcism to rid the church of any remaining evil spirit. Dolan being not someone who's particularly that great himself. I'm sure he's probably, you know, in that same, you know, category. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so we have we have this, you know, this, what sounds like really, you know, important, you know, an important service for a, a really seminal, you know, sort of figure in the community uh, being kind of trashed by a bunch of bigots and idiots. It just blows my mind. And um, yeah. fortunately, there was somebody who is a lot more, uh, well, pleasant to talk about in, in the course of, of our talking about this story, and that is... Uh, the amazing Congresswoman AOC. She yep. was there giving tribute to this trailblazing trans icon uh, on the House floor this past week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, her, um, her Gentile's uh, passing received tributes uh, from a lot of, you know, organizations and politicians and activists around the country. But the honors extended into the nation's capital as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gave tribute uh, on the House floor. And boy, that's that's really something. Um, Posting a clip of her speech on Twitter, AOC noted that Gentile's mission wasn't finished and vowed that Quote, together, we'll continue our fight for equality, especially for trans youth. Cecilia was a beacon of hope for so many communities. And Ocasio-Cortez solemnly noted in her tribute, um, she uh, provided her colleagues with the details of Gentile's life and accomplishments before um, pointing out that the passionate activist would be fighting against legislation under consideration that would discriminate against transgender youth. She concluded in her remarks, our community will continue to remember Cecilia as an unwavering leader in the fight for equality. So that was great. I'm glad that uh, she got that recognition on the federal record in in Congress. Yeah, and I think this brings up, I think, a broader point to me, which is, and I don't know how best this can happen, but there needs maybe I might just be sort of not in the know, which I would t- I I fully admit may be the case. But I would argue that maybe many people in this country did not know who Cecilia Gentili was. Yeah, and and since looking at Cecilia Gentili's bio is really impressive, and it makes me think that 
we're really good at recognizing our um you know the 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 sort of folks who came before us mm-hmm. but we have a lot of really important superstars in our midst now that we don't know about right and how can we like as a community how can we sort of lift up and sort of give visibility to these people who are doing this important work that are working you know, either in the, you know, sort of toiling in anonymity or at least not getting the kind of platform and stage that they really deserve. Yeah. Well, in 2003, uh, she was living, she moved to New York City, but lived, uh, I guess, back and forth between Miami and New York. And she did sex work uh, as she struggled with addiction at that time and went uh, through being arrested several times. Uh, she was threatened with de- uh, deportation, but that would lead to her future activism work. And in 2010, she began an internship with the LGBT Center, uh, with uh, their New York City Anti-Violence Project, which is an organization that supports uh, queer survivors of violence, and she was granted political asylum in 2011, legally changing her name and entering an addiction recovery program shortly thereafter. From right. 2012 until 2016, she worked for the Apicia, is that right? A community Health Center, uh, managing a trans health clinic that she grew from four patients to more than 500 2016 to 2019, she worked as the director of policy at the Gay Men's Health Crisis, the world's first organization dedicated to HIV-AIDS prevention. And while there, she fought hard for the passage of GENDA, the New York Gender Expression and Non-Discrimination Act, which bans discrimination based on gender expression and identity, and became law in 2019. Uh, So She's really done a lot. Well, that's what I'm saying to my point is that this is someone who we should be a household name. Yeah. You know, and and I guess my thought is, you know, whether it's on this show or otherwise, like, I think that there needs to be more. um, There needs to be a way that we can get these folks who are working for our community and working with our community and doing the important work, you know, whether it's at the Trevor Project or working at the LGBT Center or for the ACLU or whatever, like we need to have a Rolodex. We need to know who these people are, what they're doing and, and really like shine a light on them because, um, you know, visibility also gives people more of a platform to, to do even more. And so I, I, you know, I, I take this moment to, to sort of realize that there's work to be done in the LGBTQ media to highlight people not when they die, but when they're doing their work. Right, for sure. I totally agree with you. I didn't know who she was until um, learning of this story. Yeah. And I feel dumb for that. I mean, I certainly met a lot of people who are transgender activists and have, you know, been uh, pioneers and trailblazers in the area of fighting for equal rights. She also was, uh, she served as one of the lead plaintiffs in a successful challenge against the administration of President Trump uh, and its attempts to roll back trans protections in the Affordable Care Act. So good on her and uh, may she rest in power. We're going to continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour 
with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mac. Stay with us. 760-677-0111. Join us on the show. The LGBTQ community is as diverse as the world at large. People from all walks of life, people across the political spectrum, people who have grown up in different cultures and with different customs. One thing we all share is the same planet. We need to take care of it and we need to take care of each other. Remember that by committing a single act of kindness towards one other person today, you'll help make the world a better place. And if you've noticed someone in your environment who's sad or upset, hurting emotionally or in physical pain, or is facing a challenge no matter how big or small, you have the capacity to help lift another person into a better place. We encourage you to embrace the power of making the world better in 2024. This is a public service message from your friends at GayBC and the Mutual Broadcasting System. It's the Gay BC Happy Hour with Richie and Johnny. Fellas. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Welcome back to the Happy Hour. Yes, indeed. And boy, talk about happy. I want to take some laughing gas now because we're going to talk about uh, one of our favorite foils. We're going after oh, that guy from Long Island again. That the would liar. be George Santos. The grand liar. <laughs> Yeah. So George Santos, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of waiting for him to not ever be someone I have to think about anymore. But, you know, these people kind of like, they're like, they're like shingles. You know, you think you're done with it and then it comes back. Um, so George Santos is suing Jimmy Kimmel over a prank that's actually pretty funny. Um, and the, the prank comes from the fact that uh, George Santos has a cameo account and for those of you who don't know what cameo is it's a it's an app or website where uh celebrities or demi celebrities or you know just straight up losers like george santos can put themselves up to record uh custom videos for you so let's say you have a, a friend has a birthday coming up and they love the Real Housewives. You can, you know, pay an amount, and each person sets their amount. Um, and let's say the Countess, you know, Luann, you know, will do a, a custom, you know, birthday greeting and just say, you know, hey, Johnny, it's Countess, you know, hope you're having an, an amazing birthday and, like, don't forget, blah, whatever. You can kind of tell them, you give them a script, and they right. basically will, will, will do, what, we'll do what you say. Um, to, you know, to some extent. And so uh, Jimmy Kimmel thought it'd be very funny um, to, through various different, you know, sort of anonymous or pseudonymous uh, accounts, get George Santos to record a bunch of cameos. And then he aired them on his show. Yeah. Well, Santos 
was not happy about this because they obviously made him look like a fool, which he is. Yeah. So he's accusing Kimmel of copyright infringement, fraud, breach of contract, and unjust enrichment, and is seeking a quarter or three quarters of a million dollars in damages. Poor thing. I mean, I hope that Jimmy doesn't have to pay him, but it is, by the way, I mean, in a sense, this idiot does have some teeth because the agreement that you have with Cameo is that you're not supposed to be able to use those clips that you got from him for anything other than personal use. In other words, you can't use it on broadcast television as part of your business enterprise. So it'll be interesting to see how the courts will rule on that. But I'm sure that they look at it, if even if he loses as a cost of doing business, it was still funny as hell. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I think yeah. that that's right. I mean, I would imagine, you know, if if I were in the business and legal affairs, you know, team at Jimmy Kimmel Live, I would I would have told, you know, Jimmy, probably don't do this because this isn't really within the terms and conditions of Cameo. Right. Uh, you know, think about think twice about this because it's it's probably a, a pretty risky thing to do. That said, go at it, you know, um, because like you said, uh, it's funny. It's a funny thing. And, you know, these shows, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, what is it, break a few eggs to make an omelet. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you have to push the envelope and and kind of incur a little risk to do something very funny, which this was, was very funny. Yeah. Well, according to the New York Post, Santos's lawyer sent a cease and desist letter to Kimmel, to ABC, and to the executive producer of Jimmy Kimmel Live on December the 12th, accusing the host of fraud. And as of... Earlier this week, uh, Kimmel's opening monologues from his December 7th and December 11th shows, which include the Will Santos Say It segments, are still on the official Jimmy Kimmel Live YouTube channel. Uh, Jimmy, sorry that, uh, sorry that my Christmas gift to you came late, but here's to making wishes come true. And he's making reference to the fact that uh, Kimmel did say back in, I think, December that he uh, he wondered if if uh, in fact Santos would try and sue him for this, and uh, he says that uh, or he said to the Post on Saturday, "I hope you enjoy reading your lawsuit for fraud that you've been looking forward to." He's such a douche. He's just such a douche. Why isn't he well, in he prison also yet? What was that? Why isn't he in prison yet? He's facing felony charges, like multiple, like 10 or 11. Right. I mean, and and at the end of the day, probably he, you know, even if he prevails, he's probably never going to see a dime of it because I'm sure he owes all kinds of money to all sorts of people for all of his fraudulent activities. Right. Um, oh, well. But, you know, again... A grifter is always a grifter, and this is his latest grift: is is these you know these fraud charges, trying to get some coin wherever he can get it. Wouldn't it be great if he and Trump ended up sharing a cell. Oh, that'd be a fun show. Yeah, he could be yeah. Trump's butt boy. 
there you go yeah for sure um well that would be that, yeah that could be a, a, a good reality show right we'll, we'll keep an eye on this and maybe we'll get jimmy kimmel to come on our show and and give us his <laughs> take on on this liar liar um I want to tell you that coming up in our next segment after the news at the top of the hour, we are going to focus on another Queero. Uh, we're going to have a special interview that was done for us by our military affairs correspondent, James Appadale. And he has a conversation with one of the most important and involved fighters for equality in the United States military, Tom Swan Hernandez, who actually lives here in Palm Springs, he and James talked a while back. Um, he has played a significant role in the advancement of the rights for LGBTQ people to serve in the United States military openly. And so uh, it, that interview will be coming up uh, in our next segment. And uh, we appreciate James uh, having these conversations for us. There's a lot of interesting people who have jumped into the service and or who were actually kicked from the service or were mistreated by our Department of Defense prior to the legalization of being able to serve openly. And those stories are important that we tell. I actually... It kind of hurt my heart a little bit last night, I have to admit, um, that Richie and myself and James have a friend who just this past week um, actually enlisted in the United States Army. And it it's not that that's a bad thing. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to serve your country at all. Um, and a lot of people do it for a lot of good reasons. Maybe it's, you know, to help them enhance their education, to get a good start on their career, to have that on their resume later and in going into, um, you know, into uh, private uh, industry. Uh, those kinds of things can really help somebody get ahead. Um, but at a time when the world is so volatile and we don't know what's going to happen politically in this country in the next couple of years at this point, and not just in this country, but around the world. There's, I think, more than 40 nations actually are having elections this year for their chief executive, you know, for their leader. And that leaves the world in a very volatile place to have so much changing in such a short period of time. And, you know, having somebody who gets into the business of danger when they really want to apply what their main skill set area is because there are definitely jobs in that area. And in the case of our friend, it's somebody who works in IT. So certainly a lot of people are, you know, of great value to our government when they have those skills to work in technology. But it doesn't make you not fear anymore for, or you know, uh, more for their safety and security. Uh, but... That's why I think it's important that we hear from many of these people who really are heroes in our community who put their life on the line because at the end of the day, everybody who goes into the service is somebody who is taking a risk and putting their life on the line because you're at the end of the day, every one of them is still a soldier, no matter what their job is. You know, if it comes down to it, they will be sent 
to potentially being in harm's way. So I definitely respect people who do that, and I'm proud of people who uh, take on that risk, but uh, we're going to hear uh, from somebody who really did a lot to move the needle for the sake of the uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer uh, plus community. So we'll do that with James Appadale's conversation next with Tom Swan Hernandez. I'm Johnny Mack. I'm Richie Roy. Thanks for being with us on the GBC Happy Hour. Twenty twenty four is the year of the dragon. Of course it is. But on the Gay BC Happy Hour, it's really the year of the drag queen. Speaking of which, here's Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Ladies. Ladies. What's that about? I don't know. I g I'm gonna have to educate Howard. <laughs> Oops. Suddenly you went away on my screen and now you're back. That's good. Oh, I, I okay. got scared there for a minute. I was looking at a dark screen. But oh dear. I can't push that one button anymore. So I think we have a, a fun and informative segment coming up. We do. And uh, we're going to take you to our, our friend and military correspondent. James Appadale, thanks for being with us on the GBC Happy Hour, and hope that, uh, that you'll stay with us uh, because this is a very important conversation. Thank you, guys. Our series on LGBTQ veterans continues with the GBC Happy Hour. Joining us on this episode is my friend Tom Swan Hernandez, who came out of the closet as a gay Navy civilian worker in December of 1992. At the time, there was no protection for sexual orientation for civilian workers, so the Navy retaliated. The ACLU represented him in a successful historic case that won sexual orientation protection for 252,000 civilian workers. And if that was the end of the story, it would be a remarkable story all by itself. I have worked beside Tom on many different things, including laying a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknowns on behalf of the Gay and Lesbian Bisexual Veterans. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all your tireless work on behalf of the LGBT community. Tom, what's going on with you right now in the world today? I'm the commander of American Veterans Ambet Post 66. We're predominantly a gay uh, organization. We're named after a gay soldier that was killed in World War II. And uh, most of the president of Veterans of Peace of the Inland Empire were named after John Castro, an army soldier that was killed in the Iraq War. Those are the two groups I'm involved with right now. I know that you're very much part of getting the LGBTQ Veterans Memorial in Cathedral City. Tell me about that effort. Well, I led that effort in 2001. That was nine years before the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 
So it was very controversial. Rush Limbaugh and Michael Reagan on the radio shows criticized it. The uh, VFW said that no gays died in war. And of course, one of our members, Phil James, said that Frank Moulton was a gay soldier that died in World War II in the Battle of Luzon, Philippines. He responded uh, to all the criticism. Some people still thought it was crazy to have a gay veterans memorial. They said, why don't you just have one for left-handed people or something like that? They didn't realize that LGBTQ is a distinct culture in America. And our memorial is the first one to be solely dedicated to LGBTQ. We decided that uh, you know, having a memorial for all veterans was not good enough. We wanted a memorial like just for our group, like the Tuskegee Airmen have a memorial, and the Filipino Scouts have a memorial, and the Jewish War Veterans have a memorial. There's a woman veterans memorial at Arlington Cemetery, and there's a Mexican-American veterans memorial proposed here in California. We wanted a memorial just for LGBTQ. That's what we did. It was dedicated May 27, 2001. It was a national news story, and it's in Cathedral City, which is next to Palm Springs, which is America's largest, you know, most popular LGBTQ tourist destination, Palm Springs. And uh, that's where we, we have it. And then, then in 2018, I uh, asked the state legislature to make it a state memorial. And the state legislature voted unanimously, and the governor, Jerry Brown, signed the law and became the California LGBTQ Veterans Memorial in 2019. And it has the seal of the state of California on the granite obelisk, and it's very beautiful. And a lot of people go to the cemetery to see it. It's the public cemetery in Cathedral City. Yeah, I've been there a couple of times myself. Uh, I, I will say that it is quite beautiful, and the location is really nice. I, I know that took a lot of work for that to happen. I, I know that you also do a lot of work for the HIV community for veterans. Can you tell me a little bit about that? In 2000, I was appointed to the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs HIV Community Advisory Board. And we meet every couple of years in person. We have, we have, we have phone conference calls periodically, but we meet in person like every two years. And we meet and discuss changes for the VA. You know, 20 years ago, back in 2020, back in 2000, some veterans were not getting good treatment at the VA hospital. And so we met with, uh, Barbara Dayton was the head of the VA HIV program back then. And we made recommendations for changes. And uh, we've made it a lot better for the veterans now with HIV in the, in the VA healthcare system. I think the VA now provides some of the best care in the world. Uh, I agree with you. I get some of my care from the VA. I'm also HIV positive, so definitely I have been there right there with you on that fight. And, and I, I agree with you. The VA does currently offer some of the best care in the world, uh, especially with coming right. with, with HIV issues. I appreciate your effort on, in that. I know that you recently got married a few years back. Can you tell me a little bit about that? In 2016, I got married. Uh, my partner was arrested by the Border Patrol and put in immigration detention custody. And uh, I was very sad about that. It was very traumatic. And uh, I wrote, it was covered in the newspaper. And I uh, asked if I could, uh, you know, marry him while he's in detention custody. And they went to the immigration, you know, INS in uh, Washington, D.C., and they got approval to have the first same-sex marriage immigration detention history. So we got married in the prison, and uh, it was a front-page newspaper story, my local newspaper here in Palm Springs. It was in USA Today. It was in The Advocate, and it was in uh, The Guardian in the United Kingdom, our, our wedding, first, first same-sex marriage immigration history. Then my uh, attorney got my husband released on bail, and he's still on bail, and he's has a deep, he has a deportation hearing in a couple of years. But we've been married since 2016, and happily married. Right. His name is Guillermo, Guillermo, Guillermo Hernandez. He's a native of Mexico. He came to the United States when he was seven years old. 
and, and rightfully so. And I know that you have been together for quite a while, and I, I, I'm happy that you were able to uh, marry him. I, I just wanted to get your story out there about that because I know it was kind of an unusual circumstance with him being locked up at the time in for deportation and able to to actually marry him. And that was right. a really yeah. an interesting story. I thought. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah. I know you're the president of AMVETS. Tell me a little bit about the history of AMVETS and anything that you're working on with AMVETS to pass equality. AMVETS was founded after World War II, and President Gerald Ford was a member. John Kennedy was the AMVETS post commander in Massachusetts, and it's for all veterans and active duty military can join. And at that time, the American Legion and VFW you had to serve in wartime. But AMVETS, since day one, was for all veterans, whether you served in a war or not. And uh, in 2003, I was on the National Diversity Committee because the National Commander of AMBETS wanted to write a diversity statement. And they had an original draft statement, sexual preference. And I had to change to sexual orientation. In 2003, AMBETS adopted a diversity statement saying it welcomed veterans regardless of sexual orientation. And that was, again, before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. So AMS was kind of, the, it's the most diverse veteran uh, organization in the country. And we have a, we had a woman national commander a couple of years ago, and uh, it's really a, a good good organization. And uh, I've been a member since 2000, and I was a district commander one year. I'm the commander of our post now in Palm Springs. We have about 42 members, predominantly gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender. We have a few straight members. We're named after gay soldiers killed in World War II. I think I said that. And uh, we, we have a peace day, International Day of Peace, September 21st every year. We have a nice program. We had a gold star mother, Vicki Castro, who spoke this year. And then Veterans Day, we had the ceremony at the cemetery where the memorial is located. We had the memorial service, Veterans Day. We had gold star family members. And uh, Representative Ken Calvert presented our post with the American flag. It's over the U.S. Capitol building. We had a nice program at about 100 people. And now, in Memorial Day, we'll have our Memorial Day Awards Luncheon. We're, we're going to try to invite Justin Elsey to come and get an award. You know, he spoke before the Senate Armed Services Committee, Sam Nunn's committee in 1993, trying to get the ban on gays lifted in the military. And he was very prominent. He'd written a book. And he lived in New York State. He lived in Washington State. And we're going to try to get him down here for Memorial Day to honor him. That's awesome. Before we end this, we have we have some time. I'd like to have you tell me about your historic case that you won with the ACLU that won sexual orientation protection for the 252,000 plus now civilian workers who work in the federal service. Yeah, I was, I was in the Marine Corps from 1976 to 1980 and the Navy Reserve from 1986 to 88. And in 1986, I also became a civilian employee at the Point Magoo Navy Base in Ventura County. And I was, because I was in the Navy Reserve at the time, I was pretty much in the closet. But in 1992, I was not in the Navy Reserve anymore. I was just a civilian employee, a GS-11, for the secret clearance. I came out of the closet because Bill Clinton said he wanted to lift the ban on gays in the military. And uh, David Mixner asked me to help educate the public that gays had served in the military to try to help Bill Clinton lift the ban. And, uh, so I came out in December 1992 to the Los Angeles Times newspaper. The Navy retaliated against me. My supervisor waved the newspaper in front of my face and said he was offended. And uh, they put me on the unpaid, I was GS-11 secret clearance. They put me on the unpaid uh, list to try to fire me. So there was no funding for my position. And I got assaulted at the Point Magoo Navy base because I was gay and, 
And then they, my nickname was Gator. They made a mutilated doll, alligator doll, stuffed animal. They put a knife through the head, spears through the belly, a chain around the neck that said, screw you. And they put a broken condom on the tail. And Marine Corps Sergeant gave it to me and said, the condom broke, you're going to die of age like Magic Johnson. This was back in 1993. And so I was retaliated against and harassed. And then the ACLU took my case and we filed a complaint with the U.S. Office of Special Counsel. And they sent out an investigator. And during that investigation, they put me in what they called the banishment room. And it was me and a lesbian. We were in a room. They put tape over the window and the door. Uh, nobody was allowed to talk to us. Nobody was allowed to come in that room, just me and a lesbian, the banishment room. They, if they brought mail for us. They put it under the door. They couldn't come into the office and hand it to us or put, us on our, put it on our desk. We were banished for a couple of months. And it was very traumatic. And like I said, I was assaulted at the Fort McGill Navy base. And, uh, and it was very traumatic. I, had P- I got PTSD from that. And then I went to the March on Washington in 1993 and was introduced for a million people on stage at the March on Washington. I was the second person introduced. I carried the rainbow flag. And the Commandant of the Marine Corps saw that on C-SPAN, me wearing a Marine Corps uniform carrying the rainbow flag at the March on Washington. And he complained to the Pullman Navy base and tried to get me fired for doing that. And I went to a National Organization for Women National Convention in Boston. I was a Christian scientist at the time. And the convention was in a hotel right across the street from the First Church of Christ Scientist headquarters. So I met with the Christian Science Monitor editorial board and made a presentation that, that they should edit, they should give me an editorial to lift the ban. Colin Powell, then he spoke, and I'm proud to say they voted two to three, two to one, to lift the ban on gays and military. That's a very conservative church, very conservative newspaper, Christian Science Monitor. So then, finally, the uh, Navy said, you know, the gays are a threat to national security, and I'm crazy because I'm a homosexual. So they made me go to doctors and uh, do reports and uh, the Navy doctor sided with me, so the Navy settled out of court. I can't say what the terms are, it's confidential. They settled out of court, and the Navy secretary responded to my case. It was a national news story. He responded to my case by signing a new EEO policy, Equal Employment Opportunity Policy, that added sexual orientation for the first time ever to the EEO policy of the Navy. And I met with the Navy secretary, and he gave me an award, and I took a picture with him, and uh, his name was John Dalton. He's still alive. And that was that was in the Clinton administration, and that was in 1994. He added the sexual orientation protection to the EO policy. By then, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was already, already been adopted. But for civilian employees, he added sexual orientation protection. So the Navy Times interviewed me, and the headline says, it's okay to be gay if you're a civilian. And the Navy was the first to do that. The Army, the Air Force... The Coast Guard did not do that, and Bill Clinton finally, four years later, signed an executive order making it possible for the whole Department of Defense to have sexual orientation protection. But John Dalton and the Navy did four years before the other branches of the service did it. Now they celebrate gay pride at the Naval Air Systems Command headquarters in Maryland, in Washington, D.C., the Pentagon. They have a gay pride event. Yes, they do. I want to thank you so much for all that work that you did in helping move that forward. I know that I've been beside you working side by side for equality for a long, long time. I just wanted to take a brief moment to have this conversation with you. Can I give you one more little story that's very interesting for a few people now? Sure, Tom, please. Sure. I was the, I was the, I was the co-chair, co-chair of the Salute to Veterans of the 2000 Democratic National Convention in Los Angeles. And we had James Carville was our guest speaker. And uh, I was the co-chair. And before the event, we asked Vice President Gore if we could put the rain flag on stage next to the flag of the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Coast Guard, Marines. And he said yes. And we had it on stage. And the VFW state commander complained about it. But we had the rainbow flag on stage. Vice President Gore personally approved that. And I'm very grateful he did that. He was 
he was out in front for civil rights and uh, he, he said we could do that i'm very grateful well again thank you very much for your time we are grateful to have you and i would like to just tell you that I appreciate all the hard work and dedication that you've done for equality. You are a national treasure, my friend, and I am proud to call you a friend. And I'm going to turn this over to my compadres. We are grateful for your time and your service. You're reporting from Tacoma, Washington, I am James Apatow on the GBC Happy Hour. Richie and Johnny, back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's very, very fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the sort of modern history of sort of gay rights in the military is one of, I mean, I think a huge story that really, you know, kind of mirrors um, kind of gay acceptance broadly, you know, because there's ways in which military is really behind and then Mm -hmm. there, but then there are sort of once, uh, you know, things fall into place, then things are very different. I mean, you know, we have, we now have people serving very openly in the, in the U S military. Right. And, um, I think that that has a huge impact because, you know, the military draws people from all over the country, from all walks of life, and for them to be in the same barracks and sort of, you know, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder with queer people is a huge boon towards, you know, acceptance and visibility. Right. And I think we'll have a lot more interesting conversations that James will be able to have with people who've been in various roles and gone through various things. I remember one of the stories I'd love for us to have a follow-up to is uh, I recall that back in the, I think it was in the late 90s, we had a situation with the language defense or the defense language school down in, I think it's in Monterey, California. Uh And with people who spoke uh, Farsi and you know, uh, other languages where we had all those, you know, problems and that uh, maybe it was the early 2000s and and where we were kicking out a bunch of people who had gone in and who had learned how to speak these languages and be interpreters and and be able to, um, you know, linguists who understood uh, our enemies' messages. And, you know, that's a really stupid reason to kick somebody out you know over their sexual orientation when they have the ability to you know to play a real key key role in our national defense just because you have this bias against uh gay people right anyway we're going to continue with more of the gvc happy hour again we welcome your phone calls at 760-677-0111 and as we continue We're going to talk about one of our Supreme Court justices. He's pretty damn mad that you can't be bigoted towards gay people anymore. Details ahead. Did you know that sexually transmitted infections, or STIs, are on the rise in the LGBTQ community? It's important to protect yourself and your partners. Here's a couple key tips for prevention. Get tested regularly for STIs. 
even if you don't have symptoms. Communicate openly with your partners about your sexual health. And remember, for those at high risk, ask your physician about PrEP and PEP prescriptions to help limit exposure to HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. Taking care of your sexual health is crucial. Let's work together to stop the spread of STIs in our community. For more information on STI prevention, testing locations, and medication options, visit your local health department or a queer-friendly healthcare provider. This message is presented by GayBC and the Mutual Broadcasting System. The Happy Hour, where the drinks are half price, the snacks are complimentary, and the hosts just won't shut up. Hello, welcome back to the happy hour. And uh, this, uh, so this segment actually, there's two. I'm going to introduce a, a, a topic that that I just wanted to talk about. Um, it's another. It has to do with a different Supreme Court. Uh, we'll talk. We'll get to the other Supreme Court, but there's a story that came out this week, and it's just, it's just bugged me. And I just, um, I just felt I wanted to just touch upon it briefly. Which I don't know if you've heard about this, Johnny, but um, the Alabama Supreme Court, yeah, uh, made a decision uh, this week that embryos are children. Right. And don't drop um, those embryos. Right. Let I mean, go of you my know, embryo. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just mind-boggling. You know, it's part of this kind of the slide into theocracy. This idea that you know that 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 uh, this anti-abortion rhetoric that life starts at conception. So you know, a, bun- a, a, a a clump of cells, you know, in a test tube is now a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just you know, reading the stories about it, it's already having really negative effects on fertility clinics, you know, IVF clinics that are really there to try to help, you know, people get uh, pregnant. Help what is that? Help get help people get pregnant. Exactly, to help to help, you know, families try to um, you know, conceive and have children. Right. Um and if their goal, I mean, it, the the it goes to the point that that they're really ideologically driven because if what their if what their true goal is is to really support children and families what you wouldn't do is seek an agenda that would make it sort of impossible to get fertility treatment in your state but that's not what they're about they're not actually about, they're really about just sort of ideological purity and about you know doing whatever it takes to get sort of ideological decisions passed and it's just, you know, so it just it really just struck me because it just it, it, it just goes against any kind of reason or logic that a, a test tube full of cells, you know, obviously non-viable, whatever, is considered a child um, and is worthy of the protection of children such that, you know, if you destroy, uh, you know, that if that test tube gets thrown away or something, you've essentially committed murder. Meanwhile, in a similar in a state like Alabama, um, you know, someone who feels threatened because, you know, a black person looked at them the wrong way can just shoot them at a gas station 
and be and get off scot free because you know because uh, you know they're allowed to you know I have felt, this you I know, felt afraid for myself yeah and so it just like it, it's kind of it just increasingly the the boundaries are, are so radical in terms of what lives are valued so in this kind of theocratic crazy world a test tube full of cells is worth more than a person of color you know who's 36 years old with with children of their own because of just ideology i guess i mean it just it really boggles the mind um that really um, a test tube of cells and, and a loaded gun have more rights in this country than an, a, a grown adult human. Um, that's insane to me. Yeah, well, the minute that the umbilical cord is cut, I wish that they cared about that child and their life from there forward when they really are, you know, a living, breathing, moving, crying, crawling human being because right. and all God, too and often God forbid, they, I mean, they God don't. forbid there be things like required um, parental leave, paid parental leave or things like, um, you know, access to, you know, easy access to WIC programs or, or assistance for food. Well, you when, know, when many of those lawmakers who make these decisions make them, they argue that, I mean, I imagine some of them argue that, well, I didn't have that in my day, so and I turned out just fine. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and and for those reasons, you know, they're not willing to invest in making life, you know, better or giving a young parent a, a better chance at, at providing a worthwhile life for their child. I mean... It's it's just I mean it, it's, it's mind boggling. It, it it it's 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 mind boggling. It's actually it's just it's just strictly just purely inhumanity. It's inhumane behavior. Mm-hmm. It's the same you know it's the same thing that you know um, again a clump of cells in a test tube you know is you know is is worthy of um, you know of of legal protections. Uh, meanwhile. That same person who is tr- is so happy about that bill is the kind of person who will be like, well, you know, I saw someone in line ahead of me at the supermarket and they paid for a chocolate bar with their with their food stamps, you know, all pissed off, you know, because someone, uh, you know, who is, is entitled to food stamps it is literally an entitlement because they you know, they are not, they meet the the threshold requirements for food stamps, decided to have a small, literally a tiny piece of pleasure in their life. And, and there's this, there's this paternalistic idea that, um, you know, how dare, you know, that life they, is they not do such pleasure, a son. It's just, it just, it's just awful. I mean, and so, that story just and, and I, I, I sorry I sprang I, I sort of sprang that on you. It's no, no, just no. It, it drove me crazy all week long too. Ever since we started bringing it up and talking about it in spaces on Twitter this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so that's so that's one Supreme Court. That is um, the Alabama Supreme Court. And then to go to a different Supreme Court, we have. Um, we'll have to carry it over to the next. Segment. Oh yeah! Sorry about that. So yeah, <laughs> stay with us. We'll still get to our friend Samuel Alito and his 
elitist behavior. Yeah. Um, stay with us on GBC. We've got another news update for our friends that are listening to the live show. And coming up in the half hour ahead, we're going to talk about some not so great stories that affect our transgender brothers and sisters. And we'll also maybe get a product recommendation or two in. And Richie is going to be back behind the bar again before the hour is out with his apron and his swizzle stick. You know, it's the GBC Happy Hour Mixology 101 segment. Stay with us. Are you ready to stand up for LGBTQ elders and advocate for their rights? Join SAGE, advocacy and services for LGBTQ plus elders, as we continue the fight for dignity and respect. For over 40 years, SAGE has been working alongside LGBTQ pioneers, mobilizing the community and educating policymakers on aging issues. Our nationwide network of affiliates is dedicated to advocating for LGBTQ older people at all levels of government. Will you join us in raising your voice and advocating for equality? SAGE is proud to announce the launch of the Center of Excellence. Our goals include increasing visibility, expanding research, supporting equity, and promoting inclusion for LGBTQ plus elders worldwide. Together, we can improve understanding, celebrate resilience, and address the unique challenges faced by older adults. Stand with SAGE as we work towards a future where all LGBTQ plus elders are seen, heard, and valued. Visit sageusa.org to learn how you can get involved and make a difference today. Is this show gay enough for you? No? Dial 760-677-0111 and give these guys a piece of your mind. They've got thick skin. Hello. Welcome Hello. back. 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by now. Join us. You must have an opinion about something we've talked about tonight. Yeah. So... I. I have another, and I'm sorry that I'm I'm being a little bit frisky tonight, but I have another story that, <laughs> that um, I just found very, very, it tickled me, actually. Um, and this is about a Canadian family. I don't know if you've heard this story. Uh, this man, Arend Feenstra, who's a Canadian right-wing guy, patriarch of a right-wing Canadian family. He felt that um, there was too much gayness and too much wokeness in Canada. So he liquidated the family's assets and moved them to Russia because he felt like in Russia um, there would not be all of the left-wing ideology and LGBTQ and trans stuff that he had to deal with in Canada. Two words for that. Mm -hmm. Good riddance. Yeah, exactly. Good riddance, right? Yep. So, so you know, uh, this you know, in a YouTube video, they posted about their first week in Russia, <laughs> and it's not going quite as planned. You know, uh, did their house get hit by a drone? No, not quite that. But uh-huh. um, Feenstra uh, and the family, uh, you know, were I think expecting to find it to be a, you know, a, a treasure land of anti-woke, uh, you know, ideology. Instead, what they found is that they had not brought enough cold weather clothes. <laughs> and so they, uh, they arrived of not knowing any Russian, the Russian language, first of all, 
uh, with no not enough cold weather clothes. The locals donated snowsuits for the children, and and helped them to uh, you know with, to, with some translation. The family is ten people, by the way. Sounds very left wing to me to help that many immigrants. Right. So it's ten. There are ten people. It's ten ten people in the family. They're living in a two bedroom apartment because oh. they tried to find a farm and failed to do so. Additionally, <laughs> they, you know, so, you know, he liquidated all their assets or whatever, moved to Russia, discovered that, guess what? Credit cards don't work there. They don't do Visa and MasterCard in Russia. No. And the authorities closed the Russian, uh, their Russian account when they moved the money there because it was a suspiciously high amount of money with no explanation where it came from. You know what I have and, to say about that? Uh-huh. Priceless. <laughs> exactly. So, so the so the uh, the Feenstras are very very upset. Uh, the the quote from Anissa Feenstra, I guess the wife is, I'm very disappointed in this country at this point. I'm ready to jump on a plane and get out of here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just it's the most Schadenfreude story because you have these kind of idiotic right-wing, you know, cretins who are so, th- their brains have been so melted by, you know, right-wing propaganda that they think that Putin's Russia is, you know, the sort of, you know, the the Valhalla for <laughs> right-wingers. And then they go there and are completely in in over their heads, don't have any idea of what to do there. They don't can't speak the language. They can't, don't have access to money. They're just idiots. And it's just, it's the funniest story. Well, you know, <laughs> they had options. They could have gone to Pyongyang. Right? Yeah. Maybe that would, maybe they would have done better in Pyongyang. But I just, I just thought that was a very funny story because, uh, because yeah, they, uh, they just kind of got their comeuppance in the most delicious way. Yeah, definitely uh, one of those, be careful what you wish for. Right. <laughs> At least get yourself educated first before you make the leap. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, that that story uh, I thought was, was a funny one. Um, and then, uh, but... Uh, and yeah, and the story about this, the Supreme Court is just Samuel Alito. Um, it's just bummed. He's sad uh, because you can't be a bigot anymore. Uh, can you believe that in 2024? I, I can't. It's it's so hard to believe. This uh, was a story that was out of the uh, New Republic. And, you know, what they're talking about here is that the Supreme Court uh, declined uh, this past week to hear a case about whether it is legal to exclude potential jurors based on their religion. And the case, it stemmed from a lawsuit filed by Jean Finney. She's a lesbian, and she was suing her former employer, the Missouri Department of Corrections, uh, for workplace discrimination and retaliation. She said that it was due to the fact that she is a lesbian. And during the jury selection... Which, in this trial, I guess she actually won. Her lawyer asked the judge to remove three of the jurors because they had expressed beliefs that homosexuality is a sin. And uh, the lawyer 
had argued that their religious beliefs would bias them. Of course they're going to bias them against yeah. a queer person. And Missouri, the state, you know, uh, prosecution side, appealed that decision and argued that the jury selection process had been um, discriminatory on religious grounds. And this is something that Alito, Samuel Alito, had argued earlier as one of his concerns uh, in the Obergefell case. Um, he said that, uh, that this ruling uh, exemplifies the danger that I anticipated in Obergefell versus Hodges. And and I believe that in the quote, which is, I'm going to do it in a, in a fake Alito voice, namely that Americans who do not hide their adherence to traditional religious beliefs about homosexual conduct will be labeled as bigots and treated as such by the government. Well, labeled as bigots because you are one, actually. Right. I, I like so, that, the, that the New Republic uh, actually took the position in their reporting of giving us the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition for a bigot, uh, saying that it's, it's a person who is uh, obstinately or intolerantly devoted to his or her own opinions and prejudices, especially uh, one who regards or treats the members of a group, such as a racial or ethnic group, with hatred and intolerance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just... It's just Alito is just so he's so bummed out because he really wants he really wants to because, you know, we've talked about this on the show many times before that um, that they love uh, the Supreme Court loves to have a lot of, you know, sort of obeisance and fealty to religion. Mm -hmm. And basically they get out of jail free card for religion. Right. Um, and well, he's he mad because he because now, you know, you. You know, you can't just say I'm religious, therefore I hate gays, uh, and that's cool. That there are some guardrails. Even then, those guardrails are being chipped away. I mean, we see things like the the cake shop one. You know, the website case. Um, th there actually is a there is a lot of a lot of latitude for for religious bigotry even now. Um, because of recent decisions by the Supreme Court. But Alito, of course, he's all pissed off because he wants there to be a, just a get-out-of-jail-free card. You can be as bigoted as you want against gay people as long as you just whisper the word Christianity. Right, and we all know that he and uh, uh, Justice Bymeoff, uh are both looking forward to an opportunity to reverse the uh, Obergefell decision. So right. um, maybe we'll see it, maybe we won't. Um, bad news for a couple of trans people who had to pay the ultimate price. Uh, first up, uh, a teen beaten to death in a school bathroom, bullying attack. And the school, uh, they didn't bother to call an ambulance. And this uh, non-binary teen was killed in a school that was targeted by online hate activists. Yeah, that, and, uh, targeted by online hate activists, uh, who we've talked about in the past, actually. That was Chaya Rachik, uh, the libs of tip TikTok person. Yeah. Um, 
who targeted this school for employing a pro gay teacher who was later fired. Um, but yeah, so the, so this, this sweet kid next Benedict, 16 year old, sophomore, non-binary, uh, native American student beaten to death by three older female students in the bathroom. Um, this is just horrifying. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. Um, you know, the response was, I mean, the, the reality is terrible of the attack. The response is terrible. Um, and it just, it's just chilling. Um, you know, that in 2024, uh, we're, we're having, you know, high school students murdered in bathrooms for their sexual identity. Yeah. On the other side of it, though, uh, on the justice side, uh, there is at least one case that is gaining headlines because it is the first case where a trans woman who was shot three times, uh, the suspect is uh, now going to trial in the first federal trans hate crime case. So this is good news, um, mm-hmm. you know, to see that they're using the teeth of the federal government to go after uh, people who pull this kind of shenanigan. Um, The first ever federal trial uh, for a crime based on gender identity is happening in the state of South South Carolina, and it involves a man who allegedly killed this transgender woman. Um, And here they get to use the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, which was passed back in 2009 and signed into law by then-President Barack Obama. It's been used in a lot of different cases involving anti-transgender bias, but none of those cases has gone to trial until now, which totally blows my mind. Yeah. No, that is crazy. I mean... To go back to that previous story, I just this Chaya Rychek person, this libs of TikTok. How do you? I mean, I I know this is just like a, a silly question, but like the the amount of violence and 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 just sorrow and just terror and horror that this person has wreaked upon schools and hospitals, children's hospitals, individuals. How do you become a person so desensitized to human grief and sorrow and pain that you can just make a life out of immiserating and and literally putting people in harm's way uh, as a regular on a regular basis that, that that's actually your your day job? Yeah, and you know, goddamn uh, Oklahoma's head of their education department. Uh, Ryan Walters, who's the highest-ranking person overseeing uh, education in that state, um, because he has hired uh, Ray Chick. Yeah, right. And, I mean, they're both, I mean, they're both reprehensible human beings. And it seems to me that the federal government should be able to step in. The head of the Department of Education should be able to step in and take some sort of action where that's concerned because it should be federal law that supersedes state when it comes to, you know, a 
real true threat to human life. I mean, the thing is, you'd think so. The problem, the problem is, in this country, is the education that we have a Department of Education, sure, but K through twelve education specifically is so devolved to the states. There's so much latitude for states to to do education, lower, you know, non higher education, however they want to do it. That there really is so little oversight from the federal government. And so states have all this latitude to just go completely rogue yeah. and 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 teach kids as little as they want to and to and to do things like, you know, take, you know, take the books away um, and to and, and it's even devolved to the local level. I remember when I was in junior high um that they were that there were there were parents trying to uh, protest the, the 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 language arts books because they thought they were satanic. Un- unbelievable. Well, no, yeah. totally believable in our society today. I would hate to see what kids two hundred years from now are going to be reading about this chapter <laughs> in American life in yeah. their history books. Stay, hopefully, a history book still exists then. Stay with us as we continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour. We're going into the bar next, and Richie will be whipping up a delectable for us. Uh, His libations are fantastic. Stay tuned to Wet Your Whistle on the GBC Happy Hour. Support the LGBTQ community and be a part of creating positive change with the National LGBTQ Task Force, the country's oldest national queer rights organization. We are the activists who drive the LGBTQ movement forward, the organizers who sustain progress. At the task force, we are committed to queering the census, queering the vote, and ensuring a fair democracy for all. Our FedWatch program monitors government policies and data to advocate for inclusivity and equality. Join us in building a bold, inclusive, and intersectional world where everyone can be their authentic self. Let's work together to shape a future where justice and freedom are guaranteed for all. Stand with us as we continue to push for equity-driven goals and strategies. Visit our website at thetaskforce.org to learn how you can be a part of the change. Together, we can make a difference for a better tomorrow. The National LGBTQ Task Force, advocating for a fair democracy and justice for all. Homo mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour and to the Mixology Corner. While, um, you, while you're getting your uh, apron tied there, can I just mention something I meant to mention earlier in the show tonight? is that if you haven't been to the website lately, uh, like in the last week or so, there is a new function on that site that we have taken the stories that we talk about and they are linked there in our happy hour reading room. So if you go to gbc.com or gbchappyhour.com, you will find all the stories that we're talking about each week in the show so you can get more detail on them if you're interested in reading more and, and exploring the story deeper. 
So just wanted to add that. Yeah, definitely check that out. This, the, the site is great. Um, you know, if you if you if you haven't checked it out, it's it's a great resource for sure. You can also send um, those messages right through there. It'll get to Richie and myself. So if you have questions or comments about something, you're listening to the podcast after we've done the live show and you want to comment and, and give us your two cents on something, um, just fill out that message right there and it sends that message off to the both of us and we'll be happy to include your thoughts or you know take into account your concerns uh, on our next broadcast. Yep. So this week... The drink of choice. Well, I was I went by I, I was thinking about what what sort of base, and I was looking at my bar cart, my little bar table in my living room, and I saw the uh, distinctive bottle, the sort of triangle shaped bottle of Galliano sitting there, and I was like, hmm, Galliano, what can we do with this? Uh, for those who don't know, it's kind of it's a it's an you know kind of an aperitif kind of liqueur, it has a vanilla vibe to it, sort of vanilla plus like a little bit of an herbal note, pretty tasty. Isn't it yellowish um, in color? Yeah, it's kind of yellow yeah. colored. Yeah. Um, and it's in this kind of tall. Right. It's usually a very kind of it's like sort of triangles, yeah, pointy shaped. Yeah. Yeah, sort of a pyramid-shaped bottle. Yeah, um, I remember as a kid at my grandparents' house when I was like four or five, six years old, that I would see they had a huge bar in their rec mm -hmm. room. And they had, you know, big shelves up behind the bar where all the bottles were, just like if you went into a real bar. And, yep. and they had that stuff there all the time. I never drank it. I've never drunk it to this day. But, um, but I always... That was always one of the things that I, you know, I was kind of uh, taken with, just seeing all the different bottles of liquor there, because it, yeah, it, it's it's different, it's unique. It is unique, and I know that some some folks, uh, some bartenders don't like Galliano because the bottle is so tall that it doesn't really easily go on the shelf. Right. <laughs> but it's a fun one. Um, it's kind of you know in the same realm is you know maybe like a frangelico or something okay um sure but uh i was thinking okay let's do something with galliano so i did some research and i came across a drink that sounds so delicious to me uh i cannot wait to try it um it's also a pretty low alcohol content drink um and so it's kind of more actually kind of more of a dessert than a drink drink but it is called the golden cadillac and it is uh, it's from the fifties. Actually, it was served in originally served in in El Dorado, California, at the bar Pool Poor Reds. And uh, it's equal parts Galliano, creme de cacao, and heavy cream, mm. shaken and and strained into a cocktail glass. What's the flavor of it? Of it's the Galliano, kind of van vanilla. -ish. Vanilla. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of vanilla plus a little bit of like kind of herbal, you know, kind so of weird. Basically like a vanilla mix, milkshake that packs some power. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Uh, and I kind of am all about that. Um, I, that sounds delicious to me. We'll have to try um, one of those. When I come to New York City next week, um, maybe you could uh, mix one up and bring it with you. 
Yeah, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I could totally try to do that because I have Galliano. I could get some creme de cacao and heavy cream. I can obviously get. Um, yeah, that'd be fun. Or I mean, if we could find we could find a bar in, that makes it. If we could find a bar that could make it, I feel like that might be a, a an uphill battle. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, maybe worth trying because I'm. I, it looks beautiful. It looks you know frothy and creamy and delicious. And that vanilla and and chocolate flavoring, I think together, um, it sounds really good to me. Yeah. It so does. that's the that's the boozy drink of the week. For the non boozy drink, I think I'll stay in the same kind of vein, uh, and go with, uh, you know, because obviously the creme de cacao in the in the golden Cadillac is uh, it's still winter. You know, depending on what where you are in the country, it it it, it might still be quite cold. Um, so I'm gonna go with something a classic actually, which is Mexican hot chocolate. Hmm. Um, like an Abuelita or Ibarra. Those are like two of the big brands that are usually they're kind of these hockey pucks of hard chocolate, and you kind of crack a big chunk off of this hockey puck. And you whisk it up into, you know, uh, warmed milk on the stove. And if you're very fancy, there's a special little whisk, a little actually a Mexican hot chocolate whisk that's usually wood that has kind of like some spinny parts on the bottom mm. and it kind of really frosts it up. But, you know, if you don't have that, you don't need that. You can you can just, you know, sort of stir it up and with, with a whisk in a Can in I a use pot. my back massager? <laughs> yeah, you could probably use that. Um, but uh, if you've not had it, Mexican chocolate is completely different than just regular hot chocolate. It's It has lots of cinnamon and maybe some clove and, um, and, and it has sugar built into it. So it's sugar and chocolate and, you know, cinnamon and spices. And it's super delicious. Um, I mean, to my... I'm not a huge hot chocolate person. I think hot chocolate's a little cloying, but Mexican hot chocolate is so delicious to me. Um, well, before we get out of here, I need I kind of let the cat out of the bag there just a minute ago, but I'm not going to be here next Thursday. You're not? I'm not. I'm going to be uh, awaiting your arrival in Manhattan. That's and true. I will be there for a few days this next week. We are working on some really big stuff for GBC and the GBC Happy Hour. Uh, so I'm pleased to say that my absence will definitely, uh, and Richie's will definitely have uh, impact on this program for the better. And we look yeah. forward to telling you more about that. So we're not going to have an episode this next week. But I promise when we return in two weeks, uh, We'll be well into March at that point, and we will uh, be marching forward with some really great stuff. We'll be talking a lot, I'm sure, about our uh, shenanigans while together in New York City this next week. And, and I hope that you'll join us then. Don't uh, worry. We're not going away. If you've missed any of our episodes, they're available off of our website at gbc.com or gbchappyhour.com. Uh, you can just scroll down towards the bottom of the page, and we've got the entire collection so you can hear how bad we were on our first show to how how excellent we've become over the last 
half year or so. And we appreciate you being along for the ride uh, the whole way. So it's been a lot of fun. And, and we're really excited about this uh, series of things we're going to be working on the next few days because uh, there is going to be a lot of great stuff to come on this program. It's in- very true. Including the fact that we are planning to take the show on the road at various points and go to various corners and spots around the country and even potentially around the world and, and bring you the voices and the, the community from uh, far and near. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of fun, fun things we have on the horizon for this year of the happy hour. Um, I think, I think for those of you who have been listening to it for a while, it will continue to be uh, familiar to you. Uh, but things might switch around a little bit. There might be some additional kinds of segments. I think you'll find it to be um, uh, even more engaging and more um, dynamic uh, as we kind of move into the new, the next uh, phase of the show. For sure. We're even, you know, you just did the uh, Mixology 101 segment. We're even talking about moving that up to the front of the show because we think that we need to get you liquored up before we start talking about the serious stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, actually, that would be kind of fun is um, is I mean, this would take a little bit more foresight for me because usually I plan the mixology segment about an hour before we go live. Um, right. But if I actually can get get things planned ahead of time uh, to get up on the website, the ingredients needed to do the cocktail so people could actually mix the cocktail along with us as we're uh, making it live on the show could I be think, fun. I think we should pre-record those and have them also available as a video segment. Oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be fun. So we can offer that. And we're also talking about perhaps even including some some more video for our friends to have an eye behind the curtain here and see the wizards. So Exactly. More to come on that soon. Stay with us. And thank you very much for being a part of our week and for inviting us into your homes or at least into your ears. I'm Johnny (laughs) Mack. I'm Richie Roy. And this is the GBC Happy Hour.